you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on back. And if you are a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is an environment where they can go. They have their own small groups, their own teaching, games, and crafts. They do a bunch of stuff back there. Uh, They're going back a little earlier today than normal because uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little more worship at the end today. I've got some stuff I want to do with you, and um, I think it's going to take some time after the sermon. So uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about blind spots. And if you are our guest today, this is the first time that you've been at Journey, the purpose of blind spots is to talk through some of the issues that drastically affect our lives that we may be immune to. We may not recognize them or see what's going on around us, and yet they still have an effect on us. And so far, we've talked about several issues. Last week, we talked about entertainment. Uh, I love entertainment. I love to be entertained. Boys and I went to see Dr. Strange on Friday night. It is definitely worth going to see. Uh, But entertainment, like many things in our lives, has a tendency to move us out of the place where God wants us to be and usher us in to this mindless state where we just kind of veg and the world goes on around us without us. And that is not the way we were meant to live our lives. We talked about generosity a couple of weeks ago and the reality that generosity is one of the hidden keys to happiness. And we looked at a number of studies that have nothing to do with the church of just psychologists and sociologists saying what they have found in people is that when you have developed a generous lifestyle, you actually are happier. Not only are you happier, that generosity feeds more generosity and more happiness. It is addicting. And it's incredible that what God has said, you should be a people who gives more than they seek to receive. And what we will find as followers of him, that if we will embrace that idea, it will change everything about the way we live our lives. Truly, Christians have to be the best money managers on the planet. He's given us so many resources, we need to choose how those are used in the best, most wise, most discernible way. And so... Uh, that is a huge blind side for many people. If you're like us, when we first started out, Deidre and I, we felt like being generous was something that other people do later in life that have better jobs and make more money. It's the exact same argument for having a budget. I don't know how many people I talk to would like to get a rain on their finances, and yet they don't feel like they make enough money for a budget. And the truth is, if you're spending any money at all, you make enough money for a budget. So that is a, another blind spot that a lot of Christians are dealing with, not only Christians, but just Americans where we get saddled with debt, we begin to tie our lives to the people who say you need more and more and more, and then we find ourselves stuck with nowhere to go. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I know is on some of your hearts. I know it's on everybody's at some point or another, and it is the issue of worry. Does anybody in this room struggle with worry in any way in their life? If you do, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, If anybody does not struggle with worry, somebody check their pulse because they're not alive. (laughs) Worry is something that we all deal with. And if you're like me, early in my journey of faith, I I would get frustrated whenever I would hear sermons on worry. Because, you know, basically what a preacher does is they stand up and they say, trust God, don't worry. And then we leave and we worry, right? That feels wholly unsatisfying. So what I hope to do today is to share with you a few things, one of them being the fact that worry was given to you by God. 
Worry is not something that you are a bad Christian if you ever worry. Worry is actually something God has given us for a purpose. So we're going to talk through some things like that. And if you are a person who is a chronic worrier and you are right now worried about something, whether you're worried about the election, whether you're worried about your health insurance, whether you're worried about am I, is my job going to be there for me tomorrow, whether you're worried about a loved one whose health is declining, whatever your worry is at the end of our service today, I want us to take some practical steps that we can adjust, we can adjust and we can change the way that we deal with worry. So a few things I want you to know. The first one is, you already know this, worry is common. It happens to everybody. And it's a subtle fear that things are not going to turn out the way we hoped they would. See, there's fear and there's worry. Fear is the anticipation of something bad happening. Worry is you're afraid that something could possibly happen, but fear is it is inevitable. It's going to happen. And oftentimes that worry wraps itself around those things that we are most insecure about in life. If you're insecure about your relationship with your spouse, you often probably worry about your relationship with your spouse. If you're insecure about your children, am I a good parent? Which I I know a lot of parents who struggle with. Am I doing this thing right? And, you know, if your kids are still alive, you're doing okay so far. That's my standard right now in life. They're alive. Jake's here. He made it here. He's breathing. He's moving. So far, so good. We're doing good. Uh, If you're insecure about your work and you're not certain that there's going to be a job waiting for you, then you're going to worry about those things. As a pastor, I want you to know I never worry about anything because I love God and he loves me and I'm just confident that everything's going to work out. Well, that's not true. The reality is that pastors worry about a lot of things too. We worry about all kinds of stuff. We worry when it's 10 after 10 and there's three people here. We worry. There's not going to be anybody here today. As a pastor, I sometimes read Facebook and I'll worry about you and I'll see that you're going through something and I will think about, oh, this does not look good for them. Or or they'll post something and it just, ah, I wish they hadn't posted that. I worry about what's going on within your lives. I do worry about our kids. I worry about how kind of job they're doing. Will they love the church the way that Deidre and I love the church? Uh, We know the statistics about preacher's kids. You know the statistics about preacher's kid if you've been in the church more than a couple of weeks. And so we worry about those things. We worry about what's life going to look like whenever we get older. Will we be able to retire? And the answer is probably not. You'll see me at Walmart. I'll be handing out stickers to kids when they walk in the door. That's what I'll be doing until, you know, one day I'll be there. The next day I'll be at my funeral. That's probably going to be the way it works out for me. And honestly, I'm okay with that. I don't know how I would retire. But I worry about stuff too. Outside of being a pastor... What some of you know about me is I tend to be more of an introvert than some of you. Now, how many introverts do we have in the room? Now, see, what's interesting is that you guys raised your hand because most introverts won't raise. I'm not raising my hand. I am, but I'm not letting anybody know it. (laughs) Introverts have all kinds of worries. They walk into a room and they worry about what people think about them. They walk into a room or in a group full of people that they don't know and they wonder, are my actions going to betray the kind of person I really am? And so they withdraw and they disappear. There's all kinds of worries. Those who are extroverted, you you don't have those worries. You look at someone like us and you go, man, you all are weird. And the truth is we already know that. We know we're weird. We have all kinds of worries that we deal with. 
As you get older, you worry about your parents the same way your parents used to worry about you because you see your parents getting older. And I think it is interesting, the one gentleman that said, as I get older, I actually worry less. I I really do believe that that is true about most people because much of our worry has to do with the things that we really don't understand yet. And as we get older, we begin to understand a little more. And as we go through difficult experiences, we begin to trust a little more. And as we go through one bad event, we realize, I'm still here. I can go through another one of these. And so I do think as we get older, that experience, it does change in us. But worry is common. Some of the worries that we have are about our present. Some of the worries that we have are about our past. Are people going to... Find out the way I used to be. Are people going to figure out what I've done in private? We worry about failing. We worry, will I succeed? We worry about all kinds of things. And as we think through that, no one would come up to me or to you and say, you know what, I am so excited that today I am worried. I'm excited about that. This is a good day. This is a really good worrying day. No one's ever felt like that. No one's ever said that. But the truth is is that while we worry in so many different ways, worry doesn't always have to be a bad thing. I'll get to that in just a minute. I wrote down a few types of worriers. Those who have never experienced hardship. When they experience hardship, they worry. Those who experience non-ending terrible experiences. Because quite honestly, whenever I prepare a sermon like this on a topic like this, I know there's somebody that they literally have had such a long string of terrible things happen in their lives. It is impossible to say, you know, it's going to be okay. Because life and experience have told them it's not going to be okay. But there are some, and there are few, but there are some that have experienced so many terrible things one right after the other. That they've developed a lifestyle of worrying. For many of us, probably most of us, I would even say all of us, worry has to do with the fact that you and I try to control the experiences we have in life. I want things to go just right. Now, if you go to Disney World, you have a whole different list of worries, right? When we lose our child, well... We've done that at Disney World, so we've gotten through that. We can do it again. So I'm older. I don't worry as much about those things. Are we going to get to ride the rides that we want? Is Space Mountain going to literally launch us into space because somebody didn't do a maintenance plan? You know, you're supposed to be the happiest place on earth, and we bring worry with us because we want to control the experiences we have in life. And the older you get, the more you realize you don't control As much as you think you do, definitely not as much as you actually do control in life. There are times, and I'm going to mention this a little bit later as well, there are times that there are chemical things happening within your brain that have nothing to do with circumstances, have everything to do with the way your body is made. It generates anxiety like a power plant generates electricity. And so there are times that worry is not something that we can joke about because worry is a debilitating thing that just 
build up with no explanation, no real reason why. And there are those that truly worry and not even know what they're worried about. But they feel the heart rate going up and they feel that fear coming on without knowing where it's coming from. It does happen. If you've ever experienced stress, high stress for a long period of time, you yourself have experienced that at times. Because when you stay in a high stress situation for a long time, your body begins to act outside of what your brain is telling it. And so it begins to get worked up and you can't even, you don't even know why your heart's beating fast. Your, your breathing speeds up. And it could just simply be you're stressed. It could be something's going on chemically within your body as well. The problem with worry is that it blindsides us when we let it dominate our thoughts. This is when worry becomes a problem. It's kind of funny when you worry about little things. I'm worried how the kids will do at at picture day today. You know, that's kind of funny later. But there are worries that begin to dominate our thoughts. And this is where we get blindsided. And this is the problem. We begin to think that the only place that I can go from here is down. That's where worry often leaves. There's no hope in this place. It's just going to go down. All those options I had in my life, all those opportunities that I thought I would have, they're gone. That have no more options. I have no more opportunities. You can almost watch a person who is being debilitated by worry. You can almost watch their field of vision narrow into this little pinhole, and that's all they can see. No matter how much you love God, no matter how much you believe in Scripture, You will get to a place, if worry goes unchecked, that it leads you to believe that even God himself either cannot help you or has chosen not to help you. And that is crippling for a follower of Jesus to get to the place to begin to believe God cannot and will not. He does not want to help me. I am all alone going downhill. It becomes debilitating. And it also leads to a place where we no longer see life as the ebbs and flows that happen, goods and bads, the here and there that begins to meld into what our whole life is going to be down the road. And instead, we just begin to believe that I must not fail. For a chronic worrier begins to shift to I must not fail again. See, worry has an ability to take us outside of what God is doing in our lives. And it has a real, a real opportunity to pigeonhole us into a belief that the world is bad, life is bad, nothing is good, and I have no value or worth in this place. Worry can be debilitating. Worry can truly blindside you and dominate you. And honestly, what worry does is it convinces us that our fears are more important than our hopes. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Worry causes our fears to take precedence over our hopes. Anytime that fear begins to take over a person's life, they'll begin to shut down. They begin to push people outside of those relationships because people no longer become helpful. They become obstacles or they become people who are going to further hurt me. 
Whenever we focus on those fears, what those fears tend to do is all those ideas and good things God has put in our heads, all those callings that he has put on our hearts and our lives, we begin to say, none of that is going to happen. Rather than looking at our future with with bright eyes and hopes of what life will be like as we age, we begin to believe that life is just going to get worse. The best is behind me. All that I have in front of me is just despair and decay. Now, most of you, if not all of you, approach worry from this perspective. The fear that worry is bad and that worry is going to lead you to places where you can't do anything about it other than suffer the effects of the worry. But I want you to know that worry itself is a God-given gift. I recognize that by saying that, some of you are already rejecting what I'm about to say. How can it be a God-given gift? How could this truly be something good? Why would God do this to us? And how in the world could I look at this as something that is positive within my life? And I want you to know that worry is something that you can use for great benefit. As well as it be something that can debilitate you. What, What worry has a tendency to do within our lives is it emotionally forces us to recognize that truly God is God and you and I are not. Worry is that thing that God introduces into our lives when we get up on our high horse to say, this is how things are going to be. I love it when our kids would do that when they're little. And some of you know Malia. It's fun to watch her now. and She's real young and she will let us know how things are going to be. Every now and again, we did again last night, we would get around the table and we try to get Malia to give us her mean, mad look. Seeing a three-year-old give a mean, mad look, it'll just brighten your day. In her mind, she believes how things are supposed to work. And when they don't work that way, it comes out in, in some inappropriate ways at times. Some of us haven't grown out of those inappropriate ways. And Deidre's in here today. She would probably tell you I've not always grown out of those ways myself. But what it does is it's an opportunity for God to say, you think you're in control. Now, if you'll think back into your biblical history, what you will find was the original sin. This was the original temptation that you can be what? God. That original temptation has followed you and I to this day and will follow humanity until the day Jesus returns and changes all this stuff. The idea that somehow I'm in control. Those that worry the most are those that need control the most, but yet feel they have the least amount of it. Things have to happen this way. When I come to church this morning, every seat should be filled. We should have people standing everywhere. We should have people literally clinging to the wall, gasping for air because there's not enough air in the room. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's never been that way. If I could control you, that's the way it would be. You all would be suffocating and hanging on my every word. It would be a beautiful, wonderful thing. Take your worry. You know what it is. Take the thing that is worrying you right now. What is it about that that causes you so much fear and anxiety? Probably it is the realization, 
I cannot make this work out the way I want it to, and I fear it will never work out the way I want it to. But it is a place that God has put into us because God has empowered us with his spirit. God has given us hope. He has given us life. God has given us promise. He has given us purpose. And it is very easy for a follower of Jesus to take that and begin to believe, somehow I don't need the one who gave me all of these things. Look at all these things he's given me. I don't need him. And what worry does is it puts the responsibility off of our shoulders and back on his. Or it can, but it doesn't always. Sometimes we hold on to it with an iron grasp. We hold on and we will not let go. But I want you to know that worry is an invitation to lean on God instead of our own ability to control. It's an invitation. Worry is put there because God knew you were going to struggle with this same temptation your entire life. And so he allowed us to experience this with the opportunity to respond in different ways. One is to grip even tighter and one is to finally just let go. The question then becomes, I know who I want to be. I know what it feels like to grip tighter. It gets worse. But yet there's something in us that can't seem to fight that response. I want to be the one that lets go, but I've tried to let go in the past. And it never lets go. It always comes back. There are times that you may even go through a a, a season of worry and then either it works out or you just get numb to it because it lives with you for so long you give up on it. Only sometime down the road for it to come back and rear its head when you weren't expecting it. It's like we are conditioned to either deal with worry in a healthy way or let worry deal with us in whichever way it wants. So my hope through this that we understand worry is a blind spot and an opportunity for you and I. It can be a cruel taskmaster or it can be a liberating opportunity. It's an invitation for us to rely on him instead of relying on ourselves. I want to give you just a few things I have learned to deal with worry. And then we're going to actually practice some of these here in just a few minutes. If you're dealing with worry, what I probably know about you is that very few people actually know what your worry is. You've held it in. You've experienced it personally. There may even be something within you that says, I shouldn't let other people know what my worry is. Somehow I look weak when I do that. Or if I'm a Christian, I don't look spiritual when I let people know what I worry about. There are times that Christians come together with a smile on their face and they, have, they look, look like they have stepped out of a catalog. And yet inside they're decaying and falling apart, unwilling to share what is destroying them from within. When someone does come in and they're open and honest and they say, this is what's going on within me. Oftentimes we look at them with judgment, not because we truly feel that we're better than them, but we're trying so hard not to recognize we're that same person too. So one of the very first things that I've learned that you have to do, and I'm fortunate to be married to someone who's taught me this and has forced this out of me at times, you have to name your worry. You have to name it. It can't just float out here. When I come home, I let Deidre know all the bad things that have happened. And then she has to remind me of all the good things that have happened. How many men in here experience that on a daily basis? I find it often with men and women. 
where men focus on the negative and women tend to focus on the positive. It doesn't always happen. But she's been a good balance for me. Whenever it stays within you, it's like a poison that slowly contaminates your entire body. You have to name your worry. Now, when I say name your worry, there are a couple of people that I think that you have to really name it to. It's not enough just to name it in your own head because you have conversations in your own head all the time that don't go anywhere. You've got to find two people in order to name your worry. The first one should be obvious. You've got to name your worry before God. You have to go to him. There are some that believe somehow supernaturally, super spiritually, God's not supposed to worry or have fears. I'm not supposed to have anxieties. And so I need to pretend before God that they're not there. So maybe I can pretend that I'm more spiritual than I am. And yet, as we read through all of Scripture, Old and New Testaments, worry is something that followed disciples of Jesus and followers of God before Jesus came on the scene. If you want to go and read about the prophets, you'll find a depressed group of people. And do you know who the prophets were? They were literally the people that would hear the words of God in their head. And sometimes in front of their face, they would see him. And yet many of those struggled with depression and anxiety. Asking God to remove them from the equation. Those that were so close to him. We have to name our worry to God because God never expected you to deal with it by yourself. And the truth is, most of us deal with our fears and our worries inside and by ourselves. And that's why we get stuck. You've got to name it before God. If your prayer time does not include certain things, it has to include time where you're just still and quiet. You will never hear anything if you're never still and quiet in prayer. It has to include a time of repentance where I recognize my faults. God, I am confessing to you what I know to be true. What I've also learned is just a very liberating time in prayer for me is when I have listed all the things I can think of that I know I screwed up. And then I just simply say, God, show me the ways that I have walked that are contrary to your words. I don't say it that way. That would sound very preachery. I don't say it when I pray. And yet God always, sometimes in an avalanche, sometimes they just trickle in. God shows me, you know what? You could have done this differently. I've never felt judgment in those moments. I've never felt God saying, you terrible person. Let me tell you how bad you are. Never happens. Instead, it is his grace that comes in and says, let me show you how you can even better walk with me. It's a wonderful time of repentance. We have to have times where we take our concerns to him. If we're not taking our concerns to God, then those worries are staying stuck within us. But there's a second person you really need to take these worries to. You need to take these worries to another person, another believer. I don't mean just anybody. I mean somebody who is trustworthy. Someone who not only will keep confidence, but they also express their own worries and fears in their lives. I have found different people that I've had relationships over time. Some I consider examples or mentors as a pastor. Sometimes I consider them just mentors as a follower of Jesus, sometimes as a dad. If they never show any doubt or fear or failure in their lives, they never are a good mentor for me. 
When they're perfect, all I am is a failure in front of them. But when they show what God is doing to rejuvenate their lives, to forgive them at times that they needed, I am more able to experience that myself. You have to find a believer that will speak truth, that demonstrates faith, but also that shares their own struggles. Not only is it good to have somebody just to let it out, because there is a cathartic thing that happens whenever you speak it. Sometimes that person can give you good counsel. How do you deal with it? It's a wonderful thing when you name your worry. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to name some of yours. Not in public, not in front of a microphone. We're not going to read them off or post them to Facebook. I want you to know that as a church, one of our primary goals is an authentic community of people that will be open and honest about the good and the bad in their lives. We want people to be able to come together and be able to experience that freedom by being able to be true to who you are, but also to create an environment for those who need that. They can enter into those kinds of relationships. And I'm so thankful for so many of you who demonstrate that on a regular, regular basis. For us, the church is not what we're doing right now. It's not this service. It's not what's going on in kids' ministry. It's not what we do in small groups. For us, the church are those people who know Jesus, love him, and follow him. We're a piece of the church here in our community. We are not the whole church. We're not the best. We're not the worst. We're not in the middle. We're just a piece of the body of Christ in this place. And in this place, we want our relationships to be key to who we are as a body of Christ. Over the years, we've done different things with uh, you know, events and what does it mean to be a member and things like that. And I want you to know that, and I'm telling, I'm not, I realize I'm saying that a lot. I want you to know. There's a lot of things I want you to know in this. For membership, we've done things very differently since we began. In the first few years of Journey's existence, we never had membership. We're like, why do you need to be a member of a church? I mean, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're already a member of the church. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church, body or not. A member is someone who knows Christ. And then we realize, but we want people to have an opportunity to know that they're in with this group and that they have a place that they can serve and they can give. They can have a place where they can be accepted and this can be their people. And so we had this huge banner that we would put up and it was awesome. And people would just sign their name and and we would put it up. This is when we were in the theater and we were portable. It was just, you would walk by and go, look at all these names. This is so awesome. But over time, we recognized that Membership in a local body of believers is so much more than simply coming and sitting in a seat. But we also know that if we make membership so difficult for anyone to obtain, they'll stop before they ever started. A couple of years ago, our elders went through a process of figuring out what do we need to do for some of our legal stuff. We've been kind of fast and loose. We need to kind of nail some of this stuff down. And one of the things we wanted to nail down was what does it mean to become a member of a church? It's interesting. If we ever wanted to do something like build a building, which I really don't ever want to build a building, but maybe we will one day. I don't know. They they ask you really one question or two questions, really. How much money is in your account? 
And how many members do you have? And I always thought, that's a stupid question. Because every church I've ever pastored has about three times as many members as people who ever show up on a Sunday. <laughs> so whenever we would go, pastors get together and have lunch or, or whatever, uh, we have 800 members in our church. <clears throat> well, how many were there Sunday? About 100. That's why we talk about how many members we've got. So we wanted to have an opportunity for you to know that you've got a place to be in, a place to belong a place to be needed and a place to be wanted. And so membership's going to change a little bit. And the reason I'm sharing this here is because I believe that the ability to deal with worry has to do with the kinds of relationships that you have with other believers. And this, hopefully, is a honeypot of believers for you in your life. And so membership doesn't look like a banner on a wall, although I still think it's cool doesn't look like going through all the classes we used to go through for membership. It's simply you saying, these are the people that I want to be with in this season of my life. Membership isn't like jumping through hoops. You don't get anything extra. It's not like you get to, you know, put a little in in the offering and pull a little out too and it passes by. Membership has its benefits. You know, that'd be cool. I would be joining that church if that were the case. But membership literally means a person saying, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to do it with this group of people. And I want to help other people live their lives following Jesus too. That's what membership looks like here. For some of you who have been asking, well, how do I become a member? Well, you need to write a big check. No, I'm just kidding. You don't really have to. Next week, after the service, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to come down here and I'm going, to, after, the, when the service is over, if you're interested in membership at Journey, then I'm going to, you just come up and for a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about who we are as a church, where we've been, where we're going, and what it takes to be a member. If you're a person who loves Jesus, who has said within their hearts, I will follow you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that without him, I cannot know God. I cannot be saved. If you believe the gospel and you want to be a part of this group, then we're going to let you be a member. Now, as a member, you can do many things. A person can come up to you and say, listen, you know, Herman, I'm dealing with something. And Herman can go, okay, well, I'm going to lunch. See ya. Now, a member can hit. Now, Herman wouldn't do that. A member can also say, listen, I'm here to walk with you. That is what our hope for membership is. I want to walk with you through this life, and I want to help you do that. If you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, maybe you've been a part of the church for years, but you've never been baptized. One of the things that Jesus says is that whenever you follow him, you need to follow in baptism. Jesus did it himself. He said all those that come after him should follow in baptism. If you've not been baptized, we'll baptize you. It'll be fun. We'll hold you under until you bubble. I mean, it'll be a lot of fun for everybody else, maybe not for you. Baptism has always been one of our best things here. If you've never been baptized and you love Jesus, then we want to be able to be that for you. Membership means that we open our lives to each other. It means that if you're struggling, I'm here for you. If I'm struggling, you're there for me. Membership means that we serve each other. We take care of each other. And while we rely on so many of you that are just, gosh, you're so good at leading and teaching and serving, and it's just so easy to let you do it. We say, I'm here to serve with you. 
And I'm here to take this message outside of these walls into this community. If you're interested in doing that kind of stuff and having those kinds of relationships, we want you to become a member of Journey. And I know that it can be awkward at times if you're new or you're a guest. I don't really know anybody. We're not going to ask you to bear your soul. But we hope that you'll begin to build those relationships into a life-giving way where we are helping each other grow. That is the goal of the church. You realize spiritual gifts, whether it be teaching, encouragement, the gift of mercy, the, the ability to, to pastor or shepherd, the ability to give generously is actually a spiritual gift. We're all called to do that, but there's even a spiritual gift for that. If you go through and you read about any of the spiritual gifts that come to a believer through the Holy Spirit, there is one purpose for all of those gifts. And it is to build up the body. That is what we want membership to be. We build each other up. All right, that's my membership push. If you're interested in doing that, we'll talk next week. You've got to name your worry. Second thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge your need of God. Now, this sounds so easy. Whenever things are so bad, it's easy for us to say, you know what? I need you, God. And those who know Christ and have walked with him for long distances, they get to this point much quicker. But if we are honest, acknowledging our need of God is nothing, there's nothing easy about it. I would much rather handle it myself. I would much rather walk in, make the decision, make something happen, and then walk out. But yet to be able to say, God, I can't do this. I need you. That is what it means to acknowledge God. And that is what it means to have faith. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Literally, we have to hear from God about God to trust him in the things that you and I are dealing with. We have to acknowledge that God is God and I am not. We have to break from the original temptation and the original sin. As we read this, faith comes from hearing. That is why it's crucial that we take the gospel to people at work. We take it to our families. We take it all, all the places that we go. And I want you to know it's more than just reading scripture. If I could, if I could just somehow supernaturally cause something to happen in your life, there are two things that I would cause to happen in your life. The first one is, is that you would see as God sees. You would see as God sees. Have you ever had an obvious perspective change? If we could see as God sees, that would change so much for so many of us. The opening is in Scripture. But it's not everything. The opening is in Scripture. Because the second thing, if I could do anything for you and impart anything in you, it would be your ability to hear from God a word that he has for you. And I don't mean the the prophetic prosperity word that you're going to be rich and everything's going to be great and you're never going to get sick. I mean, you can hear God speak to you. This is something in the South that we we, we shy away from. We're very reserved and we, we worship very reserved. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, depending on your background, we talk about the Holy Spirit and kind of, you know, oh, I don't really know unless you come from, I mean, a throw-down, Pentecostal, ready-to-go-at-it kind of church, then the Holy Spirit is, is crucial for life. 
If I could do two things for you, it would be that you would see as God sees and you would hear from God. Because if you could have those two things, you would never need another sermon. Because you would get it all from him. Now, I would love to say that I see as God sees all the time. And I hear from God all the time. Wouldn't that be nice? It doesn't always happen that way. It'd be nice if I could say, I don't need another sermon, but I have to go listen to sermons too. I need other people to encourage me and challenge me. I need other people that are speaking into my life just as you do. I need other people to remind me of the things that I have known but I have not practiced in a while. But we have to acknowledge our need for God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Samuel twenty two thirty two says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. I will tell you that as I have gotten older, my perspective of God being the rock has changed. As I was younger, I felt like I could somehow force myself to be the person that God wanted me, created me to be. I could make myself into that. And that a person that loved God would not only stand on the rock, they would be a rock themselves. And I honestly think a lot of people read this exactly the way I did. But the truth is, nowhere does Scripture say that. Instead, it says God is our rock. He is our refuge. Who needs a refuge? It's people who are not rocks themselves. And so the belief that I can reach a place where worry won't touch me, fear won't touch me. I'm a rock myself now because I have become spiritual in my pursuit of God. That is not what Scripture says. What Scripture said is He is our rock because we cannot ever be that. And so He is our refuge that we have to constantly go into. He is the only one that can provide that shelter for us. You and I cannot figure out a way to shelter ourselves from pain. But God can consistently be there and he can be our rock. Who is a rock except our God? No one. Those people that you know that are strong, they're strong in their faith. They have learned where the refuge is. They are not strong in and of themselves. For those of you that worry that I am weak, I'm not I'm just not as good as other people. You have to find the refuge, the rock. We have to acknowledge that we need him and we cannot do that. God is our rock because we are incapable of being strong by ourselves. Once we see as God sees. There are a lot of people who fool themselves. I got it. I got this covered. I got it taken care of. And guys, we're bad about this. Man, I, I got it. I'm tough. And I know what I need to do. When we see as God sees, we recognize how much we truly need him. We see as God sees, we don't read scripture based on, well, that's a good idea. We read it as this is what it means to live. This is, this is, uh, this is, I have to do this. We have to acknowledge our need. Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason that we're using the illustration of money is because money is perhaps the greatest illusion of our control in this world. And you even heard someone say in our opening video, I worry about my job and money. Well, what would it mean not to worry to have a good job and lots of money? For many of us, we struggle with this. And there are many that I know that are are wealthy and have lots of money, and yet they are empty inside because even then it doesn't shield them. Money is the illusion that I am in control. Everyone still gets sick. People still die. People still lose their jobs. And people still need much more than just getting through in life. So we've got to name our worry. We've got to acknowledge that our need for God. This is where it gets tough. We have to give your worry and its consequences to him. This is where things have to shift. When we lean on God and we begin seeing as God sees, we begin to recognize that consequences that you and I visualize don't really matter to God. See, I put ideas or thoughts or consequences or when I worry what might or might not happen, I put them into the categories of good, not so good. The not-so-good category always has consequences I'm not okay with. The good has consequences I'm okay with. God doesn't see that way. But yet you and I have learned we have been conditioned to deal with worry in this way. There is a good and a bad outcome. I would say there is not a good and a bad outcome. There is my outcome and God's outcome. And one of the ways that we give our worry to him is we stop putting perceived consequences in the good and bad category. And we begin to trust that God will work these things out the way they should. And if the consequences feel bad, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that God is testing me, refining me, changing me, doing something within my heart right now. There's a reason that he's causing this to happen. And the worry itself is the invitation to trust him with it, understanding that this may go south in the way I never want it to go, but that's where God will be with me through it. And so when we begin to see as God sees, we begin to see his love and we begin to see his promises and we begin to see he is trustworthy and that he is going to be there. When we begin to hear from him, we begin to hear him whispering into our minds, into our hearts saying, it's going to be okay. It doesn't matter if the worst possible scenario happens, it's going to be okay. And when God whispers that, it's not like when someone you're sitting next to says, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. Instead, the Holy Spirit begins to pour over us this belief, this feeling, this knowledge, this certainty. It is going to be all right. That comfort that comes in that says no matter what happens, that place just as Jesus came in the garden when he said, it is not my will, but yours be done. We begin to come to that place, but only when we see as he sees and we hear from him. If everything falls apart in my life, God is there and he has a purpose for it. 
If nothing good that I have planned for for my entire life happens, it's okay because God has a plan here. He wants what's best for us. What begins to happen when we give our worry and its consequences to him is that we begin to not just see problems, but then our eyes are again opened to opportunities. See, that's what happens when we worry. Opportunities disappear. We just get pigeonholed into problems. But yet when we give them to God, opportunities begin to reappear. Because no longer are the opportunities dependent on them falling in the good consequence category. We're just opening them up to whatever God wants to do. The brokenness that we feel, the brokenness we see in each other begins to turn to beauty. Because God is trustworthy. He is our rock. He is our refuge. You'll never overcome your worry or your fear unless you lean on the one who is never touched by it. God doesn't worry. God doesn't fear. And until we trust in him instead of ourselves, we'll never overcome it. First Peter 5 says this, verses 6 through 10. Humble yourself. <sighs> Humble. Get out of your own skin. Stop trying to control your own destiny. Stop trying to be the one who has all the answers and never has a problem. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, that is firm on the rock, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, everybody's experiencing what you're experiencing. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So even if all of those bad consequences come to pass, God will restore you. What does that look like? It's a little of what I've already shared. Number one, you've got to repent of your need to control. I have to do it. You have to do it. We have to repent of our need to control. We never think of our worry in that way. Um, I'm being controlling. We never see worry that way, but that's exactly what we're doing. We have to repent of our need to control. We have to fall to our knees in prayer. And why do I say we have to fall to our knees? There is something about going to your knees that demonstrates a change in your heart. It says, I am now no longer the God of my life. I submit to the one who is. We fall to our knees in prayer. It's the place where we recognize our humanity is not the same as God's deity. That's the difference. My humanity and God's deity, we are nowhere close to the same thing. I bow before him. Third thing is we begin to see as God sees. A fourth thing, we begin to hear from God. These are not things you have to do some super spiritual, weird, oh, crazy uh, spiritual service in order to get. These are things that are freely offered to everyone who follows him. We begin to hear from him that he is trustworthy. We begin to hear from him that he is working for our absolute good. And we begin to hear from him that he is with us no matter what. 
Finally, we have to celebrate the goodness of God and his love for you. See, that is what happens when worry is given up. We celebrate the goodness of God and he's taking care of us. I just want to read you Psalm 146. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation, i.e. Republican or Democratic candidates. We don't put our hope in them. We're just so happy that Tuesday's going to be here in like two days. We don't put our hope in them. There's so much anxiety around this election because we believe somewhere within us that one of these people are going to rescue us from all of this. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. We have to celebrate the goodness of the God that rescues us from all of our worry. If you don't ever get to this point, then you are choosing to live in the fear of your inability to control your life. But when we give it to God, we celebrate what he does with it. We celebrate the goodness of God. And no matter how good of a believer you are, no matter how good you are at these things, no matter how many times you're on your knees and you're repenting, disciples are not immune to worry. You will never be immune to worry. They just know where to go when they do. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. All his ways in whatever you're worried about right now. Can you trust that his ways are justice, that his work is perfect? A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. I said I was going to mention to those who deal with chronic worry. There's really not a different sermon for that. Whether it's chronic worry or occasional worry, the answer is the same. The difference is you have to exercise it more frequently. And what I have found is the more frequently you exercise these things that I'm sharing with you, the more you will wonder at the presence of Christ that you were ushered into at every sign of fear. So my last step Rinse and repeat. <laughs> I've dealt with my worry. Yeah. What? I've got another one. Uh-oh. Do it again. And I've been worried for years. Start practicing these things. God is able. God is capable if we put our trust in him. But you don't understand how bad I'm worried about this. You don't understand the consequences aren't bad or good. They are like life and death. <laughs> And yet God is good and he is just and he will be there. 
One of the hardest lessons I've learned, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. One of the hardest lessons I've learned, one of the lessons I did not want to learn, and one of the lessons I rejected for a long time, that it is in our struggles, it is in our struggles that we are being made into the image of Christ. It is not in our easy good times. It is in our struggles that we are made into his image. Worry is an invitation for that. So if you were here and you were worrying, give your worries to God and trust him to do what is best. If you end up with the worst consequences possible, you know what? He is there and he knows what he's doing. And he may just be using it for something that you have not yet seen and you have not yet heard. So focus on seeing as God sees and hearing from God. Here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up, or Richard and, and uh, Leslie are going to come up here. I've got on these tables uh, some postcards or some index cards, some pens, and some baskets. Now, I don't want to pretend that index cards are going to erase your worry. However, I want you to name your worry this morning. If you need to name several, write several. We've got a couple of songs we're going to do. You've got some time. I want you to name your worry. As you name your worry, I want you to pray and I want you to submit before God. I want you to repent of your desire to control how this ends. And I just want you to acknowledge him and his goodness and give it to him. As you give it away, you're just going to fold it up or you can rip it or you can do whatever. Just place it in the basket. Now, I assure you, I'm not going to go read through all these. And I'm not going to go put them on a wall out there where people can go, I think I recognize that handwriting. I'm not going to do that. But by this simple action, name your worry. Acknowledge the goodness of God. Repent from our desire to control it. Give it to him. So if you would like to do that, you can do that where you are. But there is value in actually exercising this activity. So I would encourage you to step out and to do that. If you want to pray up here, you can pray up here. If you want somebody to talk with you, somebody will be up here to talk with you. If you just want to write it and put it in a basket and go back to your seat, that's fine too. But let's name it, let's deal with it, and let's move on in this life that God is continuing to do such wonderful things. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that our hearts would be able to give up the things that we are holding on so tightly. God, I pray that you would let us be able to truly name our worries, to be able to say this is what is going on within me, I pray that you would allow us to see as you see and that you would speak to us that we can hear your voice. I pray for those in this room and worry has followed them their entire lives and they are just so afraid it is going to follow them the rest of their lives. Father, I pray that you would let them see this as an invitation to lean on you because you are our rock and you are our refuge. In all that we do, we worship you because you are good. Father, forgive us where we have believed our humanity can reach a place that it is equal with your deity because it is not. You are so much greater. You're so much more trustworthy. Your plan is capable and mine are not. Help us to do that this morning. I thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.